Welcome to the DTB podcast presented by Bless Your Heart Nonprofit Corporation. I'm Jere Jean Bonjaro, Director of Bless Your Heart Nonprofit, and filling in for our regular host, Brennan Mathern. Considering we live in a coastal community through which a bayou flows, there are two topics which are always at the forefront of our conversations fishing and coastal erosion. Today's guest is someone we would consider to be an expert on both topics. Aaron Pierce, a Down the Bayou native, who is the owner and operator of Four Horsemen Tackle, Four Horsemen Guide Service, and an employee of RES, a company who specializes in coastal restoration efforts across the Gulf Coast. Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Hi, I'm glad to be here. So Aaron, we ask the same question every time. We want to know the, the standard down the bayou uh, introduction. Who are your parents? Where did you grow up? What high school you, you graduated from? Yeah, uh, parents are Lynn and Ann Pierce. Uh, my mom's from Golden Meadow. My dad's from Cutoff. And uh, <clears throat> wife is Dana Pierce. And I got uh, two daughters, Berkeley, who is 13, and Bryn, who was 11. I grew up in Cutoff, and I went to Salafouche High School, uh, graduated in 1993. And then I went off to Louisiana Tech and got a degree in ag business from Tech in 98. And then I went off to LSU and got a master's in oceanography in 2001. So what, like with those college degrees, what were your plans? Really just kind of my main focus was just trying to get a job that I like to do, you know. Um, So when I was in college, I started working with Steve Shook. Um, helping him uh, on a fishing guide in 1995 and then in 96 I was able to get my license and start doing this overflow uh, fishing guide so when I graduated from Louisiana Tech I didn't really like any jobs that was out there so I just came back home and just kept on guiding uh, full time and then I got to um, take the department head of oceanography department fishing and he encouraged me to come get a master's with him in his program. Oh, wow. So I said, all right. So there I went in 1999, started LSU, and got a master's in oceanography. So tell me how, like, your master's in oceanography, tell me how that transitions into you getting with coastal restoration efforts. So the the, the oceanography is more about, about the fishing, mm-hmm. currents and estuaries, how that flows, how that works. Um, the plants and restoration is more of my ag business plant okay. science. So I had a plant science minor. Right. So that really helped me in the, doing the nursery. So um, that's kind of how I, I look at it. So. Gotcha. I'm sure that oceanography masters definitely helps in your, your guide service and your tackle business, which I'll self-admit that I don't know a ton about, but will be a great opportunity for you to educate me and our listeners on what makes Four Horsemen Tackle competitive in the tackle market. So tell me, how do you even get started with that? Well, so we use a lot of popping carts in the marsh, and there was always a lack of a decent product. You know, the wire bends, doesn't make any noise, you know, you just can't cast it. And um, every trip you change them out. And uh, actually it was me and Roger Dowdy, he's still part owner of the company some of it and uh, we started messing with the carks making our own stuff 
putting different different beads, different wires, different uh, components on the bottom of the cart. And uh, we make some, and we'll give some to some of the other fishing guys to test out. And I told myself, if I can convince them to switch and use those carks, then I have something. Because <laughs> those are the guys that I use them every day, every day. And all of 2017, we uh, we tested carks like on their strength, on their sound, on the combination of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, durability, sound, and you can cast it, and also. Uh, help with not tangling up as much, especially customers. You know, they haven't fished much, and it's just a pain in the butt. They can't cast it right; it gets all tangled up. Um, I even went as far as getting into my dad's pool and getting into the water and popping <laughs> the cork and listening to the sound <laughs> to make sure I knew uh, the sound that I wanted. A trout, a redfish hitting the surface makes a unique popping noise. And our shrimp popping on the surface that's running from a trout or redfish. Right. So I want to make sure I created that certain pop. And finally, in, in 2017, the combination of the epoxy on the bottom, the beads, the wire length, the wire sides, finally got that, that right pop. And I gave them to a bunch of guides. They started using them. I said, look, I'm going to do, <clears throat> I'm going to make about 500. And I'll make a post on Facebook. And y'all just share it for me. S- see what happens. And in three days, they were gone. That's amazing. Next thing you know, got all these guides calling me. Hey, man, I, I want some. Can you make me some? Make me some. And um, they really liked the way it sounded, the pop, and it just kind of just took off from there. So where did you come up with the name Four Horsemen Tackle? So Four Horsemen is, it was, a, it was four of us in a group text that's all been fishing over. 20 years and we, while we fishing we just text each other hey you catch anything no or no hey i'm turning the fish up or the water's dirty here don't come over here mm-hmm. so it was just a help way of communicating while we we're on fishing trips and one of the guys named it the four horsemen so that was the name of the group text so as i'm developing the card that group name stayed and kind of came close to the end where like, I was about to start selling these carts, but I had no no name, I had like nothing. Right. But I always wanted to come up with something catchy, something different. And three of us was just finished a trip, finished cleaning our fish, and one of the guys that wasn't there texted us at the same time that one of them again asked me what I was in the name, the company, the popping guard. And when I looked at my phone, it said Four Horsemen. I said, I'm naming this Four Horsemen. <laughs> you can't name it that. I said, yes, I am, just because you said that. <laughs> so that's kind of how I got named. And, you know, it was, you know, some of my good friends, and I figured, you know, we'll, we'll you know, name it that because that's our group text for so long. So you were showing me your old cork that you initially started with whenever yeah, so you started the old four horsemen tell the, me about the that. original wire is it's, it's still a good car it's still a good wire but sometimes it will bend um when you hook up if a big bull red eats it mm-hmm. or if a customer grabs it the wrong way and pulls a fish up it'll bend and then sometimes it's hard to bend back but you can bend it back with pliers and that was the only kind of knock on this car because that the wire can bend um so there's some material there called titanium but you had to crimp it. But as the crimp, it always failed and it was always breaking. So that's why I never came out with it. But whenever I found this titanium blend wire that you can actually 
bend you can actually twist the top of it and bend it and it'll come back straight that was it game over so you're selling these right now just came out with these like two weeks ago oh wow yeah so i'm gonna have to buy my husband one yes yeah (laughs) yeah but you so i mean part of your i guess goal in developing that one specifically is the popping for the sound of the popping of the yeah both these carks sound really well it's just this one is the wire it can bend back and forth in case like if a redfish eats it all or right. if a customer grabs it the wrong way or right. if you net a fish and it gets tangled in the net and the fish is going crazy, the wire could bend mm-hmm. on this one and it's hard to get it back. This one, it could bend. It, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's it's going back straight. Down the bayou innovation. That's right. <laughs> so tell me the – so okay, in a four-horseman tackle, we have corks, but you also have – artificial bait yep a new uh shrimp we call the boom boom shrimp so there was this one type of bait that we used a lot <clears throat> and we caught a lot of fish on it but the company kept on softening up the plastic so you go through s- so many on a trip i was like man i gotta do something because we going through so many so me and lane zimmer who owns uh froggy moore co- uh, manufacturing in marrero and he also owns Death Grip Jig Heads, which is, he makes a jig head. So we started <clears throat> tinkering around in, two th- in 20, 2020. It took us two years, molds, testing. Uh, the, the two main things that I wanted to do was when we pour the plastic around the hook, we want the plastic to hold on for 25, 30 trout. Right. Secondly, I want this bait to glide down the water versus sinking. So as a shrimp swims through the water, it glides versus sinking. So I want to have the most natural presentation to a trout. So a trout sits on the reef, oyster bed or whatever, and they're sitting there waiting for a shrimp to come by. So if you can mimic a shrimp gliding down, mm-hmm. you get more of a reaction strike. So, And after two years, we've finally come up with a pretty awesome bait, and it's, it's taken off pretty good. So, Aaron, you brought some of your bait with you here today, and, like, I have to know, like, how do you decide, like, what color or what, you know, I see, like, shiny uh, glitter inside. Like, how do you come up with those ideas? Well, there's a lot of colors out there on the market. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of sticking to the basic colors that's been proven over, over 20, 30 years. And then we kind of tinker them a little bit. Uh, like one bait, like this kind of mimics a, a white shrimp with the, with the red legs. Um, other baits might mimic a, um, like a certain type of bait fish, the way like the the, the scales were glisten, like the sun shining through the water. Um, also, too, like the water's dirty, you want to have something that kind of stands out. Like I have one like this that's it's a glow color, so it kind of glows in the water. So that oh, one wow. works better in, in dirtier water. And then I have some that are more clear. So when you use it in more clear water, like in the summertime on the beach, you want to have more of like of, of a metallic flake in it to mimic like a, like a pogey flashing or like a – if you haven't noticed like a real shrimp tail, it's got these iridescent on the tail. So, you know, it kind of mimics that too. So uh-huh. different colors for different watercolors. Gotcha. And this is like just knowledge that you obtained during yeah. your guide service? Yeah, I've been guiding since 96 and fishing since I've been – <laughs> I can remember five years old. <laughs> so just being in the industry Good for, observations. For, that, for that long, you know, and then you think a color, it's like, man, that color is, it's not going to work. And then next thing you know, people's like, man, make this color. I'm like, it's like 
crazy orange and blue and green and i don't know like i try to try to think how a fish looks and thinks of, of something in the water right try to be on their level try to figure out what they like <laughs> in if your you dad's figure out what they pool. like then you're gonna catch right right in your dad's pool so tell me like where are you selling these right now Right now, I'm selling from North Carolina to Florida all the way down to Brownsville, Texas. So, so and it's my understanding that you're like on Amazon and Academy. Yeah. You're still selling at the Down the Bayou Rouses. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I got a distributor. <laughs> Folsom's a distributor. Uh, Big Rock distributor. I got a rep group, uh, OMG, on the East Coast. And I got a salesman in Louisiana, Ronnie Sherman. He sells for me stores. And then I got all kind of tackle stores that just, just randomly call me. That's awesome. That I that I ship to also. So then I got all these fishing guides that I mean every day, every day, just Wow. So my wife, Dana, she she was able to quit teaching and she does a lot of shipping and invoicing and all the website sales. Wow. And and uh so So we have a down the bay boy yep. making fishing tackle at a Marrero um, manufacturer, manufacturer. Yep. Yep. but you were telling us before the podcast these are actually packaged here in South yep. Lafouche yep so it's Lafouche and Terrebonne I got people in Terrebonne and Lafouche that are putting the corks together for me I, I buy all the components mm-hmm. they put them together for me they package them I get the boxes me and my wife ship them out that's amazing. So you like, is there like an entrepreneurial spirit about like your family at all? Like, are you just identified that this was a need and tackled it? Well, I came up with this card for me personally. Mm-hmm. Like if it didn't sell, oh, well, at least I have something I could use on my charters. Right. So I was focusing on getting something that I like to use uh-huh. and that therefore it would help me in my fishing business. But I never thought that it would take off like this. Like, right. Like it's. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> I never imagined that it would took off this fast. Like with, I mean, really just starting. It's legit out my garage. Right. Like I had a garage I, that I had my golf cart in. And I closed that off, and now that's the <laughs> the shipping the shipping shop. You know, I don't make them in there, but right. I keep all the product in there, and we ship everything out. So tell me, you said that the reason you kind of got into the tackle business was because you had you were doing guide service yeah. work. When did you start that? In '96. And it's primarily here in South Lafouche? Yeah, Leeville. Okay. Leeville, Golden Meadow, Fouche, but I mainly leave out of Leeville now. Trout's my main specialty, and then, you know, also redfish, but I mainly go after trout. That's what that's what I'm known for. A lot of my customers, 90% of my customers, they want to go after trout. So tell me, like, if I want to hire you as a guide service, like, how do I get in touch with you? Um, you can get on social media. But I pretty much have all repeat repeat customers. Really? And then those customers will tell other people. Because I can only do so many trips a year. Right. So I don't advertise. I don't have a website. But I do have like a little page on Four Horsemen Tacos page that you can go see uh, about us our guiding information. Gotcha. So. And so if I want to buy Four Horsemen Tackle, where, and I'm from this area, where can I go buy it? Oh, it's, you can go to Rouse's and go to the Meadow. You can go to the... Uh, T-Pops, Goose, and go to the Meadow. You can go to Walmart. You can go to Melico. You can go to Renovations. Uh, if you're in Leeville, you can go to Terry's. If you're in Fouchon, you can go to Moran's. If you can go to Meadow, you, I mean, if you're in Grand Isle, you can go to Bridgeside and I think Island Dollar. So, I love that you, like, 
figure that out. You know, like, I guess the people from around here are not always looked upon as like the most intelligent or the most educated or, you know, but just identifying something that's like needed in a market and working on it and testing it in your dad's swimming pool. And I think that's really, really cool. It's really cool for other, you know, like kids in this area to see, like, if I really want to do something, it doesn't matter, you know, just the main thing is doing it because you love to do it. Right. Not just doing it because I think if you don't do it because you don't love it, you're not going to have that passion to persist Mm -hmm. when you come across a a certain challenge or a bump in the road. Right. That love and desire will get you over that hump versus you just doing it to make to to make money, Mm -hmm. you know. That's the way I look at it. And really having a passion to try to identify, like, what works and yeah. not just what sells. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. I went to do it not for selling but for what physically works. Like, as we say in the industry, there's a lot of tackle out there right. that catches the fishermen but doesn't catch the fish. Mm-hmm. So I was going after, hey, I want my product to catch fish, and in turn, that will catch a fisherman to buy it. Absolutely. My husband's a fan, so. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah. so tell me, I know you said that you have the ag, uh, you said ag business. Ag business plant science. Right. So tell me, like, you, you said that you were just interested in finding a job that you love to do. Right. You seem like a guy who's an outdoorsy kind of guy, yeah. oh, like yeah. to fish, like to hunt, I would imagine. I grew up hunting and fishing with my dad and my grandpa. Lee Ontario had a camp behind Golden Meadow. I was back there my whole life. I used to take out... Um, guys from my, so my dad played football at Louisiana Tech and he'd bring down his buddies and he's like hey go take him fishing so I get in the little 18 foot aluminum boat and go take him fishing in the marsh and uh I, you know I was like man I could probably you know make some money on the side doing doing some doing some trips like that so I grew up fishing Golden Meadow Leeville area awesome so you said Lee Ontario's your grandfather yes my mom's dad okay so what is it like growing up with Lee Ontario as your grandpa <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> it was fun. All the stories and just just a great grandpa. Yeah. You know? So if I understand correctly, he is obviously who we have our floodgates named after. Um, but he also was the first director at South Lafouche Levy District. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So you, I mean, do you have memories of like going out with him out there? Like we, like I mean, I'm like I never went like on the job with him, but yeah. but I spent countless hours, countless weekends, weeks in the summertime growing up as a kid at his camp in in uh, Golden Meadow uh, with with him and my grandma. But my it was me and my grandma that did all the fishing. Yeah. <laughs> my grandpa would leave, come up the bayou, go play eighteen holes of golf, come back <laughs> and have lunch ready for when we came in. Oh. So we come in. Hey, we clean the fish, have lunch. Then we go back out fish again. And he would hang out and relax out there and have have supper for us. That's awesome. So, yeah. what was your grandma's name? Uh, Laura May. Laura May. So we call her Terry. Honey. God. So we call, Laura. We call my my grandpa Leon Chief. Gotcha. So, Chief. so Laura May Terrio, the original fisherman expert. That's right. <laughs> she told me everything she knows and ask her. Yeah. She's still alive. She doesn't go in the middle. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um. So talk to me about your ag business venture that you uh, that you you embarked upon. So um, back in two thousand and four, uh, I went get plants from the Plant Material Center. I got one species of plant called it's uh, called smooth core grass. So what happens is we fish April, May, June, July, September, October. 
get kind of get slow in the winter months, and that's when this business takes off. Mm-hmm. You do the planting in the winter months and the spring months. So I was trying to fill a void when it was slow because I'm not the one just to sit around, you know. So <clears throat> my dad has some property, and I built two ponds behind the house and put these plants in there. And um, it was like doing these little bitty uh, district called salt district jobs. They me a job for like maybe 4,000, 5,000 plants. I try to bid on it, try to get it. You know, doing a little bit of, little bit of jobs here and there. And then <clears throat> one trip in July, I did a lot of trips for, for Danos. Mm-hmm. So they hired me. They were having a board director's meeting. They hired me to take some of the guys fishing. So um, so we started fishing, took them out, and one of the guys was like, yeah, I'm working with this company called RES. Uh, we're doing this this coastal stuff, and we're looking for some some for some marsh grass plants. I was like, well, what kind? He's like, uh, smooth cord grass. I was like, well, I got a bunch. <laughs> He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, I got some. He's like, no way. I was like, yeah, I have a little nursery. He's like, oh, I'm going to get the land guy to give you a call. So this was probably about, I did it in 2004, and then probably about 2000, and beginning of 2008, that summer. That's when I got a, I took that, the, um, the board directors for RES. He was a board director for RES and a, one of the board directors for Danos. Oh, wow. So that's how that one guy James, named uh, John Elstrott, he got the land guy to call me. So we started talking, and he's like, man, we really need, we really need a bunch of plants for one of our mitigation banks in Terrebonne Parish. I was like, well, I mean, I have a bunch if you want to buy some. He's like, yeah, but we want to buy them at a cheaper price and start our own nursery and grow them out because what if you come work for us? I was like, well, I don't know. I said, so we negotiated, and sure enough, they bought all my plants, and I went to start a nursery in Montague, which is now the largest nursery <clears throat> in Louisiana. Wow. And we do the largest amount of coastal restoration installation and growing plants probably in the whole Gulf Coast. That's amazing. Yeah. So my brother and I, when we were in high school, we worked for Mitch Pete, and cool. he was also doing a similar project in that he was grow. He had a nursery. He was growing the court, the plants, and then we, the women, would like kind of separate them yeah. into plugs, if yep, I remember plugs, correctly. Yep. Yes. And then the guys would go out, and the particular job we worked on was in Chandelier Island. So that is backbreaking work. It is. It is. <laughs> But so just for our listeners who kind of don't understand how this process works, explain to me, like, if you are a core grass grower, like, who are your customers? Who's buying from you? The main one of some of the main customers are um, CPRA, Coastal Protection Restoration Authority. Mm -hmm. They build all these big berry islands and then we and then they put bids out for the plants. We bid on them. And if we get it, we'll, we'll, we'll grow them out. We'll deliver them to the island, and we'll install them. Another big customer is Ducks Unlimited. So they're building all these terraces all over from Lake Charles area all the way over here. So they go and they find uh, big open ponds or bays, uh, and they'll build these big earthen terraces. Uh, and then we get with all the <clears throat> the construction company, the uh, marsh bucket companies. So like we'll do jobs for Dean Equipment, Weeks Marine, uh, um, Wilco, um, sometimes Wilkes. Um, so we have several different companies that we'll do jobs for. So we just a sub of them, and then we'll go. They'll build thirty thousand feet of terraces, and then we'll come back and put twenty five thousand plants all around it, and that helps lock in the soil. Right. But a wave action. 
just so all of our listeners understand, you said like with CPRA, they go out and build barrier islands. So these barrier islands are kind of around our low-lying marsh areas. And the bigger our barrier islands, the kind of, I guess, like west, less wave impact we have. From Helps like, with storm surge. Right, storm yeah, surge so and they hurricanes. they making barrier islands along the coast. Mm-hmm. Like just uh, today, I was on West Grand Terre. We're putting um, around 60,000 plants out there. Wow. So they just pumped in and built up the beach to a certain elevation. So to help where the sand doesn't fly off, mm-hmm. we come back and put a sand fence and a four-foot sand fence, and then we could put plants on the outside of the sand fence. We'll put 10 to 12 rows on the outside in combination with the sand fence. So the sand fence that we put up in October of, of last year um, already has three foot of sand already built up on it. Wow. So that would have been going off the island if, if it went for that sand fence. Absolutely. And then we had to wait for the spring for the plants to be ready, and that's we we, we finishing up the plants. And so the plants grow their root system. So the plant grows with the sand dune. As the, the plants c- collect the sand, it builds a dune, and these are specialized dune plants, bitter panicum and sea oats. They grow up with the dune. Versus if you try to put some other plants, the sand would just smother them and they'd die. Right. These are specialized dune plants from the plant material center that we get and propagate out, and then they grow up with, with the dune, as the dune grows. So a great example was the one we did on, on Edwards Island. If any of the listeners have been out there, they built the island up. <clears throat> we put the plants. And after three years, they had four and five foot dunes way up with the, with the plants. Wow. And I got a bunch of before and after pictures, which is, which is pretty cool. That's amazing. And then Ida came and wiped it out. Thanks a lot, Ida. Yeah. <laughs> so you, uh, beforehand, we were kind of chit-chatting, and you, you kind of told me a list of the places that you've been with RES doing coastal restoration projects. And, I mean, it really seems to just be across the entire Gulf yeah. Coast, like from the – Tips from of Texas uh, we did to... from Freeport, no, no, from San Jose Island, which is by Corpus Christi, and then all the way to um, uh, Pensacola, Florida, and I've already shipped um, black mangroves to Belize already. Wow. Yeah. Do y'all do any like private sector mitigation work? Yeah, we do a lot. Our main company, the main business is we do a lot of mitigation. And then, so the nursery helps the mitigation banks. So I want to explain to our listeners what exactly that means as well. So when a, a company wants to, a private company wants to either build something or pass some sort of pipeline or build a well um, for whatever land they use or destroy, um, they have to then plant, Right. So whatever it has to be a wetland. So whatever wetland right. they destroy, they have to buy credits from a piece of property that was converted prior, I think eighty nine. Mm-hmm. Then we have to go. We go back in there and replant it and keep it monitored for fifteen and twenty years, and they can buy the credits for what they they've taken out. Right, and so the use of the wetlands. The government's ensured that they are fixing wetlands, either close by or... Well, it's not really fixing wetlands. So, mm-hmm. like, say you have an area that's wet, they want to build a pipeline, or a pipeline or big neighborhood. So you have to go find land that is not a, that, is, that was once wetland at first, but then prior to that, now it's a pasture land, mm-hmm. crop land, or it might be a land that just <clears throat> was cleared and is just full of tallow trees. 
So we go and get the land, prep the land, get it right, and come back and put back the bottomland hardwood trees or the special type of wetland plants in there to bring it back to what it once was. So you just can't take a wetland here. You, you mess up this wetland, you just can't go and say, oh, I'm, I'm a... I'm a Fix this one. It, it already has stuff, uh, plants growing on it already. Right. It has to be pretty much like, was a wetland, now it's used for something else. Let's convert it back into what it was before. Okay. So preserving the wetland. Bringing it, bringing it back to what it, what it was pro, uh, prior to being cleared out. Right. And used for cattle or, or um, farmland. But it can't be under pump. So it has to, most of it has to be out in nature where it's fluctuated with the tide or mother nature. It can't be in a, in a, in a levied off system. Right. Where it's under pump to where you can manipulate the water flow in and out. Right. So the, that area of your, of RES is like large. Like yeah. what is, I guess I'm trying to figure out like, what is the. So we are probably, I don't know, 25, 30 states. The main office was in Houston. Now it's in, I mean, Baton Rouge. Now it's in Houston. Mm-hmm. And there's, I think, a thousand people that work for the company now. Wow. But I was one of the first ones that started in 08. Yeah. Well, it's probably 10 or 11 employee. I'm still with them now. So. Yeah. So it's pretty cool to see see that, that company grow. And then I'll go help out. Like we have nurseries now, uh, four or five nurseries throughout the throughout the country. And then we all kind of swap ideas and help each other out. We have a nursery in Texas, and we'll I'll go help them over there a little bit. Um, I'll send them plants and stuff. So. How is like coastal restoration efforts? I would imagine in Texas versus this area versus Florida, they're different. It, it it's uh, no, it's basically all the same. You just got to kind of you know they just rebuilding what's been taken out by hurricanes or right. erosion. It, you know it's it's, it's kind of the same. Just coming as plant species will differ a little bit. Yeah. So, but it's 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 all the same. Like the ones we did in Florida, a little bit different design of of the restoration part. Uh, versus Louisiana. Um, so tell me, you mentioned um, that Hurricane Ida had some significant impacts on Elmer's Island. You still do guide service work. I'm not an avid fisherman, but I know I talk to clients, I talk to friends, I talk to my husband. They all say that the marsh is significantly different post Ida. They it's almost unrecognizable. They don't know, you know, kind of direction wise. You kind of had an idea like, I turn at this camp or I, you know, turn at this pass, and a lot of it's really not there anymore. So, tell our listeners like, what are you seeing out there? Like, what are, what does it all look like post Ida? It was uh, pretty sad, you know, because like we have all these different ways we travel through the marsh. And just a lot of marsh got uprooted and filled in canals where you can't even pass anymore. Right. Um, so we are, you know, every trip we're learning new ways to pass. We're getting stuck on little underwater islands. I mean, we're hitting stuff. I mean, it's just it's just not easy. You know, once once you get away from the levee system, once you get further away, mm-hmm. it's it's better. But the marsh that's closer to the levee, I think everything was hitting the levee and kind of backing up, kind of a wash machine effect, and that marsh was was filling in canals and doing different things that just makes us hindrance to to travel where we used to travel you know um i mean thank god for levy system i mean absolutely helped out (laughs) helped out unbelievable but in turn like it it kind of washed some of that marsh back and filled in a lot of canals that are close to the close to the levee so post hurricane ida are are you seeing like the influx of uh, coastal restoration efforts again? 
Oh, they're they're talking and they're trying to come up with plans to fix Grand Isle. They just did um, West Timber Island. Uh, they're looking at doing more um, pelican rookeries, like they did Queen Bass. Hopefully, they want to do some more in Timber Bay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we still have plenty of BP money for like at least ten years, right? To keep on doing all these big large scale large scale projects. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a lot of projects going on right now. A lot of projects. I just did a big project in Venice called Spanish Pass. It's five five mile ridge. Wow. That they built and we put put plants on them. I drove the truck on it. It was <laughs> that's amazing. It was two or three foot of water. Now it's, we're driving trucks on it. Yeah. So I mean they're doing a lot of work. A lot of people don't doesn't see the work because it's it's not easy to get to these barrier islands. Right. It's not like in Florida. They do a project on the coast. Everybody sees it. Right. Everybody's behind it. Mm-hmm. Nobody sees these projects because, like, sometimes you got to go 45 minutes to an hour boat ride just to get to the work they did. So it's not being published. It's publicized, but it's different when you visually see it. Right. So it's a whole different deal. My husband's a land surveyor for GIS engineering. Okay. And so... I guess I hear about a lot more of those projects yes. than the average, you know, Correct. person just because he has taken yep. those hour and a half boat rides yep. out to, you know, these little islands that they have to survey and I guess check the, you know, levels pre uh restoration and then post restoration. Yes. Um but I mean I commend you for that work because that really has always been something that you know, when I was younger, I said I wanted to practice law and I wanted to work in coastal restoration. But I kind of, you know, I don't have an ag business background no, no, no. or anything like that. But, I mean, I think that's amazing that you kind of use your skill set to really kind of give back to your community and have a passion for, you know, growing plants, identifying, you know, problems and being able to kind of tackle them. And then sharing your expertise with people from other communities uh, to, you know, help them in their times of need. Yeah, because... On my dad's side, my grandpa and great-grandpa were sugarcane farmers. And then on my mom's side, my great-grandpa was was shrimpers. So kind of doing both plants (laughs) and on the water. So it's it's pretty cool. That's good. That's good. Tell me, like, what do you think your – you know, my brother and I, we kind of credit so much of our – you know, spirit for wanting to help people or preserve our history towards, like, or how amazing our grandparents and our parents were growing up. What do you, do you, can you think back to memories you have with your grandparents or your parents that really kind of inspired you to do what you do today? Well, they were always so friendly and want to just invite over and feed people and just, just welcome in and just get to know them and just, just being kind and, 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 and uh, want to be a good host and always uh, being nice to other other people in the bay, and then people that come down. Like I've taken so many different people fishing throughout my years, and and they always, you know, man, we gotta come back and meet your dad again. You yeah, they're so nice. <laughs> you know, he's always got good stories. So, you have you ever like hosted any like really interesting people or famous people? Um, yeah, yeah, did a few. I did take out um, um. Tennessee Titans. Well, it was all oh, I was coached Tennessee Titans. Jeff Fisher. Oh wow! Took him fishing. Um, uh, one of my customers is um, Scott Woodward, LSU's uh, AD. Oh wow! Yeah. So yeah. That's awesome. So yeah. So Aaron, like, tell me, what does the future hold for Four Horsemen Tackle and Guide Service? What's the future of your, you know, position with RES? 
Um, I guess I'll start with uh, with RES. So, no, I mean I can, can want to continue, keep on growing plants and running nursery crews, and keep on doing these Barry Island projects in the in the winter and in the spring. Uh, yeah, definitely keep that going. Um, <clears throat> as far as uh, guiding, you know, I do most of my trips in the summertime where the, where the plants are growing in the nursery, mm-hmm. and I don't really need to, you know, be there a whole lot. So that's when I do most of my trips. Uh, you know, I keep on doing that. And then thirdly, uh, four horsemen tackle just, I don't have any new products right now. I got a few things in my head that might that might work, but uh, it's going to take, you know, take more testing. Um, since I just came out with this new wire cork, let that go for a year or two. I don't want to just come up with so much stuff right away. It just gets overwhelming. Right. I want people, hey, it took me five years to come out with a, a new, not type of cork, but a new material in the cork. It took me five years. It took me uh, four years, right at four years to come out with, with something new. So, right. Uh, when I do something, I, I got to make sure it goes through all the tests. Right. To make sure that I would like to use it on a, on a, on my charters and my customers use it before I even come out with it. You working with like any like professionals or anything in ter- you, you talk a lot about making sure your products are like tested. So the, uh, the company in, in, uh, Marrero, he has a CNC machine. He does AutoCAD. So, uh, his name is Lane Zimmer. I want to give him props. He has a uh, death grip jig heads. <clears throat> Only jig heads I use. They're they're awesome. They hold the bait, hold the baits on there really well. Mm-hmm. And he was the one that helped me design the lead design on on the hook that's on this boom boom shrimp hook. Mm-hmm. I actually have a patent pending on that design. It's a triangle ring shank design that faces forward and backwards. So when you pour the plastic around this bait, it's locked in, no matter how the fish holds it. And you can catch 25, 30 fish on it. Wow. So maybe in the future, I'll come up with different baits using this lead design. Right. But for now, just doing the, uh, the Boom Boom Shrimp. And then uh, might start working next year on maybe uh, some different types of baits using this lead design. Right. So at the end of every show, we have a round of rapid-fire questions related to life on the bayou. You can give us a one-word answer or expand on your answer if you feel like you need to explain. It's up to you. So, are you ready? Ready. White beans, do they go on top of the jambalaya or on the side? Oh, the side. <laughs> My husband's from New Roads. They don't they, touch. They always go on top <laughs> of the jambalaya. <laughs> they don't touch. <laughs> if you can have a final meal, what would it be and who would have cooked it? Dang, it's, it's pretty... Uh... I probably get my uh, grandpa Leon Terry to cook me a steak, and my dad to ball crawfish. Shad bed. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite snowball flavor? The uh, bubble gum. From where? Because uh, probably to chill out. I mean, we're kind of impartial to Missy Lane's over here because we're in La Rose. Yeah, this is kind of a far to drive, you know. Yeah, I understand. Back then, going from Cutoff to La Rose, that was, that was <laughs> you know. That's <laughs> a big trick. So, Jar Rue, sometimes or never? I don't like it. No? I can tell the difference. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, I'm not saying 100%, but. Yeah. You a cooker or your wife's the cooker? I do most of the cooking. I make my own roux. I fry fish, jambalaya, 
gumbo. I mean, just Red invite days. me over next time. Uh, <laughs> barbecue. Okay, last rapid fire question. At a down the bayou wedding reception, what is the first song that comes to mind that you know you're going to hear? Brown Eye Girl. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that'll do it for this episode of the DTB podcast. Thank you again to our guest, Aaron Pierce. We sincerely appreciate your time. You can subscribe to the DTP podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at the DTP podcast. You can also follow Bless Your Heart Nonprofit on Facebook or on Twitter at BYH Nonprofit. You can donate to Bless Your Heart Nonprofit via Venmo at Bless Your Heart Nonprofit and PayPal at Bless Your Heart Nonprofit at gmail.com. That'll wrap it up for us on the DTB podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button for our next episode. Until then, this is Jare Jean Bonjaro. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time.